Would you go ahead and stand with us as we worship together? So um, in a lot of movies, you always see um, the celebration of Christmas is done with families singing around a piano. So we thought we would just have a kind of a family hymn sing this morning. Luke 2, 8 through 14 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased.
chapter 1, verse 30 through 7. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are called to and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail.
Psalm 98, verses four to the end says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. seated we're going to uh, have prayer right now and we'll be asking our ushers to come in just a moment for this morning's offering and I believe we're still having children's church somebody correct me if I'm wrong are we having children's church children you can be dismissed for children's church following the morning prayer if we're not having it they'll send you back in here okay let's go to the Lord in prayer together God we come before you today and we praise you that you're our God you're the God who came and created the world, you came into the world, and you laid down your life for the sins of the world. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, somebody along the way, a Sunday school teacher, a mom or a dad or a grandma, grandparent, a friend shared the gospel with those of us who are believers, and, and we believed, we repented, we trusted in you because of your grace. 
And so, Father, thank you for the gift of Christ that's been given to us. Thank you for opening our hearts to the truth of the gospel. And, Father, we ask that you would do that for others, others that are present in this service who have yet to receive Jesus, others who live in parts of the world where maybe they've never even heard about Christ or they're very hostile to Christ. Lord, we, we pray for people to be saved. And so we pray that and ask that the tithes and offerings we give this morning, that it will be used to help missionaries and do their work in other parts of the world, help us to continue to minister here in the Wabash County area so that everyone hears the gospel. That's our, that's, our, that's our vision, that's our calling, Lord, to proclaim the gospel to all nations. So we pray that even now for each family, each household in Wabash County, that they would have multiple opportunities to hear the gospel. Lord, we pray that you'd be with those that are heavy-hearted today. We know that this season, Lord, is a difficult time for a lot of people, and so we pray that um, you would sustain them not in, not in hope that's fixed in this world, but a hope that's fixed in the gospel in the world to come. Lord, uh, we pray that you'd be with those that are sick and hurting today. We, we pray that you'd be with Joshua Daniel, who was in a car accident uh, yesterday and very serious. And Lord, we pray for Josh that he recover fully from that accident and be with others that are going through some difficult times as well. We pray for healing. And Lord, we ask now, that again, that you'd bless the tithes and offerings. Use it to further your kingdom and bless this service we ask. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we ask our ushers to come right now and the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Thank you, Miss Marcia. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to uh, 
the book of Job, right before the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, Job chapter 39, I think it's on page 524 in the Pew Bibles, so there should be one of those Bibles underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. If you would, please take one of those Bibles and or take your Bible and turn to Job 39 verse 9 and stand with me as we honor God in the reading of his word together this morning. Job chapter 39 verse 9. Job chapter 39 verse 9 says this, Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Verse 10, Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave him to, and will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he'll return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? Let's pray together. Again, Father, we come before you this morning and we praise you that you're our God. and You're the God who creates and sustains the creation and provides for it. You're a God who does all things in perfect wisdom. You're a great God and you're a good God. And sometimes, Lord, we look at the circumstances in our lives and things around us and, and though we know you're great, and we know you're good. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to reconcile that with what's going on around us. It was hard for Job, a righteous and devout man. And it's hard for us. So Lord, increase our faith and stir our hearts as we consider who you are. This great God and this good God. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Why in the world is Pastor Steve preaching from the book of Job? Well, you'll notice it does mention the manger in Job chapter 39, verse nine, so we'll get to that in a moment. But first, let me share with you that when I was in the fourth grade, uh, I guess I was somewhat of a teacher's pet. My school teacher's name was Linda Griffith. And uh, Miss Griffith, she used to call me Stevie. And I don't like that. So don't start calling me Stevie, you'll be in trouble, all right? But she used to call me Stevie in front of all the kids. Stevie, do this, Stevie, do that. She'd ask me to do things for her. Things were different in East Tennessee in the early, in the 1980s, uh, in the school systems. And uh, so one of the things she'd have, have us do is we had erasers. Kids, you know what erasers are? Erasers are those things that have chalk dust or get collected in them. And she would have me, because I was kind of a pet. And another buddy, we'd go out and we'd beat the erasers out on the, out on the playground. She'd have, Stevie, you go out there and beat the erasers out on the playground. So we got to do that. Uh, sometimes she'd have Stevie, she'd have me go out and get her water bill and walk across the, uh, the playground, walk across the street to the water department and pay her water bill. <laughs> Can you imagine that, doing that today? And another thing that wouldn't happen much nowadays is uh, every day at lunchtime, we would line up at the door every day, and Miss Griffith would have one of us pray before we went to lunch down at the cafeteria in the public school. And uh, a lot of times, the kids would pray certain prayers, kind of the same old prayer. A lot of times, they, they want Stephen. They'd call me Stephen or Steve, Stephen. And uh, they'd say, we want Stephen to pray, because my parents, I'd come to faith in Jesus when I was younger than, than the fourth grade. And, uh, and my parents had taught me 
how to pray, not in just a rote way, but to really just talk to God. And so the kids had recognized that, and they say, let Stephen pray, because they knew I'd pray something different, you know, that they didn't hear all the time. Because most of the time, when the kids prayed, I don't know if you, and this is not, this is a good prayer, but most of the times the kid would pray, kids would pray something like this, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food. Amen. Well, ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, but a lot of times the kids would pray, God is good, God is great, let us thank you for our food. Amen. That is something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. That is good. But God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. It's not good. There's a difference. It's rote. It's cerebral. It's not relationship with God. And so why did I mention that this morning? Well, Job knew a lot about God. And the Bible presents this man Job, J-O-B, not Job, but Job here in the Old Testament, as a man who was very devout to God. In fact, he had a sound theology if you read the book of Job. Job uh, suffered, though. And what we see in the early chapters of Job, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, is Job is uh, serving the Lord, seeking to do what's right, him and his family. And Satan appears before God, reminding us that, that God is sovereign over Satan, and he's sovereign over suffering. And Satan says, God, the reason that Job serves you is because you've blessed him and given him all he's got. Take away all his health, take away his wealth, take away his family, take away what's precious to him, and he'll curse you. He won't have anything to do with you. And so God gave Job permission to take those things away from Job. And he did. And Job suffered terribly. And as Job suffered, he said a lot of good things in the midst of his suffering. He said things like, I know that my Redeemer lives. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He knew a lot about the greatness of God. He even knew a lot about the goodness of God. But as the book of Job goes along, he has friends he meets with. His wife says, curse God and die, Job. He has three friends who meet with him and say, Job, fess up, Job. The reason this is happening to you is because you've done something wrong and you just need to admit it. Because if you're doing what's right, nothing would happen to you bad if you're doing what's right. And folks, that's a lot of the false theology in a lot of churches in the world today. As long as you're doing the right thing, then nothing, then everything's just going to go right for you. You're going to have health and wealth and all these things, and that is not always the case. And so Job was getting it from, from every corner. And so as the book of Job goes along, Job begins to question God. Even though Job says a lot of good things about God, he knows that God's great and he knows that God is good. He's not feeling it. He begins to question God, and so God begins to question Job. And so we see one of those questions here in verse 9, in Job chapter 39, verse 9. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? This is what God says to Job. One of the questions God says to Job. Job's had his turn and now God says, let me say something. Let me speak out of the whirlwind and tell you something about myself that you're missing and that you're forgetting. And so one of the things, because it uses the word manger, of course, I'm looking at this particular verse. We can look at some different ones and make the same point. Job is the wild ox willing to serve you. Is he willing to spend the night at your manger? Now, is an ox going to spend the night at your manger? 
Yep, but what kind of ox is this? What's your Bible say? It's a wild ox. So yeah, a wild ox could be tamed and could be forced to spend the night in your barn and eat from your feeding trough. But God says, can the wild ox, the untamed ox, can you make him come to your feeding trough and spend the night at your manger? Can you make him do that if he's wild? No, the answer is it's a rhetorical question. No, you can't. You can't do it. So where does the wild ox go for food? What is the manger of the wild ox? It's wherever he's at. <laughs> he goes wherever he wants. And his manger, his feeding trough, is the watering hole that he wanders upon. It's the field that he goes in to eat. Everywhere he goes is his feeding trough, and God is the one who's provided it. God is the one who has the wild ox eat at his feeding trough. Man can't do that, but God has provided for the wild ox. Man can't tame the wild ox, but God is sovereign over the wild ox. He says to Job, for example, making the same point in, in verse 1, Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Job, were you there when the mountain goats had their youngins? Later he says, Job, were you there when the deer gave birth to her fawn? Do you, do you observe this when it happens? God says, I do every single time. Is what the question is, what the answer is. In other words, Job, you are finite. You are limited. You are not all powerful like I am, God is saying. God will provide for the wild ox because God is sovereign over the wild ox. The wild ox cannot do anything outside of what God has planned for it. And so what God is saying to Job, in the midst of his questioning, in the midst of his suffering, is Job, look up in your pain, and when you forget that I, you think that I've forgotten about you, I want you to look up and I want you to look at creation. Look at the mountain goats. Consider the wild ox. Consider Leviathan. There's all kinds of different animals and things in creation in the book of Job that God begins to point Job to. In creation, he says, look, trust God and worship. Look at what God has done in creation is what God is saying to Job. Look at what he's done in creation and trust him. Look at creation, Job, and see that he is, he's sovereign over suffering. He's sovereign over Satan. He's sovereign over the wild ox. And trust him and worship him. Just look at what he's done in creation. And by the end of the book of Job, we see Job putting his hand over his face and becoming silent and saying, now I see that you're a God, and he repents, and he worships God. So we fast forward to another manger, of course, in the Gospel of Luke. If you turn there with me in Luke chapter 2, we see in Luke chapter 2 that familiar passage of Scripture that was even quoted this morning when we were singing. Three times the word manger is used in verse 7, in verse 12, in verse 16. The Bible tells us that she gave birth to her firstborn son and she laid him in a manger in verse 7 after she wrapped him up in swaddling clothes. And the angels appeared right after that in verse 12 and said, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then later in verse 16, they make haste and they find Mary and Joseph and they find the baby lying in a manger. Three times in that passage of Scripture, the word manger is used. And why is that? The word manger is used to call attention to the wonder of the birth of Jesus. 
What's all this have to do with Job? Well, God tells Job, Job, can you have the wild ox spend the night at your manger? Can you take something that's wild and untamed and force them to come to your manger? Job, no, you cannot. But I can. So what you need to do in the midst of your suffering is look up to me. Look at creation. Trust me and worship me because I'm sovereign and I've revealed that in creation. And we along with Job should do the same thing. In the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of the things we're going through, we should look at creation itself and see that God is great. We should say to ourselves, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Let us thank him for our clothing. Let us thank him for our health. Let us thank him for all that he has given us, our family. Let us thank him. But we fast forward, unlike Job, we fast forward to the New Testament and we see that God has done something beyond creation to increase our faith even more. And that is that we're to trust God and worship. We're to look at what God has done in his incarnation. You see, the God that Job knew was born in a manger. Amen? The God that says, Job, I can tame the wild ox. I can take care of you. I can take care of the wild ox. You just need to trust me. This is the God that is born in the manger. So trust God and worship. Look at what God has done in his creation. There's two things about that I call your attention to quickly. One is we see the humanity of the Messiah here in Luke chapter 2. The humanity of the Messiah. Now I was thinking through this passage of scripture and I was thinking about how those who speak Aramaic, whether they're Muslim or not, often will use the phrase Allah Akbar. It's something we've heard a lot about in the news since the increase and rise of terrorism, Allah Akbar. The phrase Allah Akbar is simply an Aramaic phrase. It's not an evil phrase in and of itself. It's simply an Aramaic word. It means God is great. And that's a true statement. But if you're a Muslim who says Allah Akbar, then it's a false statement because your Allah, your God, denies the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, denies the Trinity. But it is true, a Christian who speaks Aramaic could say Allah Akbar knowing that the one true and living God is great. It is true. But here's the thing. And what is so sad for our friends who live in Bosnia and other places who are Muslim and other places maybe even right here in this community is that God is great, but God is, God is good. There's no way the Muslim who simply knows that God, Allah, their Allah exists somewhere in the heavens and they work their way to him, there's no way that they can know truly that he's good outside of what he's done in Christ. But you see in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, notice what the Bible says. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She gave birth to her firstborn son. The God that Job knew was born in this manger. He was given birth to. But we recall that she was a virgin. The word became flesh. Amen. The word that created the wild ox. The word that created you. The word became flesh. And it was necessary that God the Son become flesh. Not cease to be God but be fully man. Why? Because only one who's fully man could be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And so we see the humanity of the Messiah. 
And we see the humanity of the Messiah, the fact that God did not cease to be God but became the God-man in the manger should lead us in the midst of our suffering not only to look at creation and say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him, let us worship him, let us trust him. But to to look at his incarnation, the fact that he was born in the manger, and to say God is good and God is great, look at what he's done. He's been born for us. We see the humanity of the Messiah, but secondly, we see the humility of the Messiah. The humility of the Messiah. I remember when my firstborn son was born there at the hospital at St. Joseph Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, there within a day or two, the nurse came in, and Deanna's in the bed and recovering, and I am uh, the dad who's learning, the new dad, you know how it is. And the nurse came in to show me how to swaddle my firstborn son and how to wrap him up, because it's kind of like having one of them Snuggies, you know, that they sell on TV, get all snuggled up. And that baby gets in that blanket and they get wrapped up and they don't get restless and they don't cry as much. And we figured it out pretty quick. She came in within a day or so and showed me how to take that blanket and wrap him up this way and take the other side of the blanket that way and take the bottom of the blanket and snuck it in the top. And boy, you get him tight to where he just couldn't move it all like a mummy and a wrapped up, you know. And I learned how to do that. I learned how to change a diaper. Man, I tell you what, I got to wear by the time our fourth was born, It'd be like a pit crew at NASCAR, buddy. I could raise them legs up, take that diaper off, take a wipe out, hold my nose, hold my breath, throw that, you know, I'd be done with it. I could do that swallowing a baby and I could do that changing the diaper on a baby too. And there's nowhere in Israel that you would go, I imagine, that you would not see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. That would be a very common thing, don't you think? That's just what, Parents do, good parents do. Notice here, in Luke chapter 2, she says that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Well, that's a common thing. You would expect to see that. You would not expect God to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, but you would expect a baby to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. But then she laid him in a manger. And the manger was unclean. And the manger was unexpected and undesirable. And the manger, a baby in a manger, was uncommon. And yet, we're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, that the manger is the sign. What what do the angels say? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. They say to the shepherds, you go off and find, find a baby in Bethlehem and that'll be the one. No, you find one in a manger, you can be sure you're at the right place because that's not common. And the backdrop of the manger, it's mentioned three times, manger, manger, manger in Luke chapter two, the backdrop of the manger is to magnify the miraculous nature of the birth of the Messiah. He was born in a manger, humbly, My goal for my kids and my goal as a pastor for you, my brothers and sisters, is for my kids, for you, for myself for that matter, not to have 
A God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food religion, a rote religion, a cerebral religion, one that knows the right things but is not moved by those things. I want my children to own, to own the gospel, to love Christ. I want you to love Christ. Even, God forbid, if your pastor was to apostatize or as the father of my children was to say, I don't want Jesus anymore. God forbid that happened. But that you and they would say, whether he does or not, I love him and I can't help but follow him. I just don't know these things in my head because mom and dad taught me this. I just don't believe these things about Jesus in a manger because I live in America and that's what Americans do around Christmas time or because preacher preached it all the time. I know this. I love this. Job knew the truth about God and said great things about God. But when we find Job in the middle of the book of Job, he wasn't feeling it, so he's questioning God. God wants us to know these truths about him, but he wants us to feel these things too. I know sometimes we're concerned about not being touchy-feely people, you know. And, 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 and that's true. And it's a good concern. But God wants us to know the truth and he wants us to feel it. We, that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. is to be moved in our hearts by the truth about who God is. That's worshiped, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, right? That's worship. So we find at the end of the book of Job, Job says, I pretty much stuck my foot in my mouth, God. But now my eye sees you. And he repents, and he worships God. Now he's feeling it because God has spoken. He's seen God reveal himself in creation. Now he can say, God is great. God is good. And I will thank him for all that he has done. And then we come to Luke chapter 2, verse 16, and we see the shepherds take off to find Jesus lying in a manger. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And then look with me in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, what they knew now that they had seen Jesus lying in a manger, they were moved by it. They felt it. It sustained them. It gave them glory. It gave them joy. And it led them to go tell others about him. And they could say to themselves, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our salvation. And you see, I'm, my goal this morning in this message is simply to set up a contrast. To say, God has revealed so much about himself already in creation, folks. So graciously that anybody living in the world at any time should be able to look up at the sky around them, the stars shining at night to give them light, the oxygen that they're breathing, and should conclude to themselves, there is a God that is great. 
And there is a God that is good. But God has done even more. God has come to earth to show us how great he truly is and how good he is because he not only came from the glory of heaven to a feeding trough, he went to a rugged cross. But then he went to an empty tomb, amen? He went to the tomb and he rose three days later. This is the God we serve and this is the God we follow. He was born in a manger. Should we expect our lives to be comfortable when our Savior that we're called to follow was born in a manger? Should we expect everything just to go like clockwork all the time? Luke chapter 9, verse 57 and verse 58 says this. I guess I've got to turn over if I'm going to read it because I ain't got it memorized. Verse 57 says of Luke chapter 9, and they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, even in his adulthood, he didn't have a bed. He didn't have a pillow to lay down at night. And what Jesus was saying to this person who made this bold statement, I will follow you wherever you go, is do you understand what it means to really follow Jesus? That it's not always going to be easy? I don't want to get off on a long tangent unless the Lord wants me to, but I'm going to just say this again real quick. Is this health and wealth stuff that you hear, Deanna and I got away a couple nights this week and I was, flipped it over on these religious channels and, and it's just appalling to see. There's like one channel, uh, Christian channel, you know, that had really good solid preaching, but the rest was just blasphemous stuff from the pit of hell. Talking about that health and wealth stuff. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is what people think Christianity is because those that, that are not in a gospel preaching church anyway, this is, this is what they're exposed to if they turn to those channels or they walk through the Walmart section and look at the Christian book section and they see books by this author and this author and this author and I'm thinking none of those books I would recommend hardly at all except the Bible the reality is is to follow Christ is like Job we will, we will suffer there will be loss but we look at what God has done in creation. We look at what God has done in the incarnation through his incarnation to ransom us and save us. And we say to ourselves, look at what God has done. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our salvation. We preach a message to ourselves that Job did not know in its fullness because Christ had not yet come. But the message we preach to ourselves to sustain us in all situations and circumstances is he has come to save, and he has saved. So, I remind myself that following Christ 
There'll be suffering and there'll be difficult times and there'll be hard times. But the best times are coming, amen? The best times are coming. And every time I go to the hospital or officiate a funeral or, or nowadays look in the mirror and see white hairs that wasn't there the day before and stuff like that, you know. Um, I'm just being reminded life is really short. Watching my kids sprout up overnight, you know, and I'm about to put a tie rock top of their head, you know, and keep them from growing so quick. Life is really short. So brothers and sisters, let us follow Jesus and let us lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. Let us serve the Lord Jesus Christ and serve him only. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? The good news of the gospel is every head's bowed and every eye's closed is that Jesus has come to be your savior. He laid down his life on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins. You can't be your own savior. If you're just trying to be good and be a good Christian and do this and that and whatever being a good Christian means to you, but, but you've not repented and trusted in Christ and you're trying to save yourself. Repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him and serve him. Follow him. Be his follower. We'd love to talk with you about that even after this service is over or while we're singing this final song. But let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the gospel. I praise you for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And God, I ask that our hearts would be affected by truth that we wouldn't just be folks that know a lot of things in our head, but what we know would, would be true and would be meditated upon and savored in such a way that it affects us deeply. And that we follow you even when our hearts are breaking, even when we can't reconcile what we see in our lives with what we know that you've done on the cross for us. Help us to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. Help us, Lord, to, to know that you are great and you are good and help us to be thankful. Help us to worship. Forgive us, Lord, when we complain way too much. Father, I pray that our worship would overflow into witness. As we're around family and friends over the next few days, some we don't get to see a whole lot, I pray that I pray that we could just be mindful of the opportunity before us to, to be good witnesses to them and even be intentional in trying to talk to them about Jesus because we don't know if they'll have another opportunity or not if they're not saved. So Lord, place that burden upon our hearts. Give us opportunity to share the truth of the gospel. Lord, we ask you to draw the lost to yourself even this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to stand together and sing this familiar hymn together this morning. And as we sing, if you want to come and pray about anything at all, you come and pray. If you want to come and talk with me about how the Lord's at work in your heart or something I can pray with you about, you come and do that. Otherwise, let's stand and worship our God together, knowing that he's great and he is good. Let's praise our God.
Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, we'll have our Christmas Eve service at noon on Tuesday. It'll be a lot like our singing today. We'll have some folks reading scripture and a, and a few familiar Christmas hymns in between, and I'll share maybe a five-minute presentation of the gospel so you bring lost people with you to hear the gospel, and it'll probably be about a 30-minute service on Tuesday at noon, so we hope to see you. Won't be any evening activities tonight. We hope you have a blessed Christmas. Love our church family, man. I'm so thankful for each of you, and I hope you have a blessed Christmas. If you're here this morning, there's something I can pray with you about. I'll be standing at those back doors and love a chance to talk with you, so you be sure and seek, seek me out or seek another Christian out here too that you, that you feel comfortable talking with. But Bo Belt's one of our deacons, and I'm going to ask him to come and pray for us this morning. All right, bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this message today. We thank you for this Christmas season. Uh, Father, we, we often hear the phrase, uh, the reason for the season, but I just pray that we would stop and really uh, dwell on that. what that means. It's not the commercialism that we see, but it's the birth of a Savior, um, the complete package, the teaching of a man, um, the death, and even important, more importantly, the resurrection of a Savior that's alive today. Uh, Father, we just thank you for that gift. Uh, we pray that we would take that message and give it to uh, all that we come in contact with over this holiday season, Father. And um, may we just uh, really uh, dwell on that message. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day, and uh, we thank you for all you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. 
A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.